Why don't you welcome Tim as he comes to bring the Word of God to us. Bless you, mate. When the music fades and all is stripped away, then I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth, that'll bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within to the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to a heart of worship when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. Such beautiful words. Songs that we sing when we have a time of worship and Maybe we get emotional. It means such a lot. But I wonder this morning, have we really thought about some of the words that we're singing? This morning I want to talk a bit about worship. And I'm not talking about the 10 or 15 minutes that we spend on a Sunday morning singing these songs, lifting our hands, or the five minutes that we take, perhaps when we're having a quiet time or when we're on our own. Those words, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my, I give you, I live for you alone. How many of us live for God alone? You don't have to answer, it's just a, a rhetorical question. If one looks at our lives, does our life represent that we live for Him alone? The people that we work with, when they look at you, can they say without a doubt, that person lives for God alone? Or will they even know that you go to church? Because maybe we've kept it a bit quiet. We're a little embarrassed for them to know. Yeah, on a Sunday morning I go to church. So, you know, we. what did you do this weekend? Oh, it was a wonderful day. We went out. Um, and then we went to the park on Sunday afternoon and a really nice time. We forget about the couple of hours in the morning. You know, because it's a bit embarrassing for people to know that we go to church. But yet we sing. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. John chapter 4 verse 23 and 24 says, The time has come and now is. You don't have to turn there with me. The time has come and now is where true worship, worshippers will worship God in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for everyone who will worship Him that way. For God is a spirit, so those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
So what does that mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? How do we worship God in truth? The dictionary describes worship as love unquestioningly and uncritically or to excess. It's to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission as a lover to adore, to idolize and to revere. To honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. So if to worship God is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission or to adore and to idolize, the question then is, how do we love God? We say the words on a Sunday morning, but the question is, do our lives reflect that on a day-to-day basis? The Bible says God is love. Do we show love? If we did, then we're honoring God and we're worshiping Him by showing love. So, Scripture says that God is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we stand here and we say, I give you my heart, I give you my all. But on a Monday, when we're doing something and God's saying, listen, I need a few minutes. There's no time in my schedule. I'm busy. I've got work. I've got this. I've got that. I've got studies. I've got X, Y. There's no time this morning. God will do it with you tomorrow. We'll give you time tomorrow. I'd like to propose that worshiping God in truth is when our lives are aligned to the words that we speak, when our lives reflect even more than the words that we speak, worship of God. Then we are worshiping God in truth. When people look at us and they can witness, and they can say, wow. You know, Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. If people look at us, do they see a reflection of God? What impression do they have when they look at us? Our workmates at work, when they look at us, are you just one of the boys? Or is there something actually different about you? What do they see? And when our lives are a witness of who God is, then we are beginning to worship God in truth. I want to look at three aspects of worshiping God in truth. Because it's easy to sing those words and to say, you know, I want to worship God in truth. Yes, I I, I pledge I will worship God in truth. But this morning there's a cost, and we need to understand the cost of worshiping God in truth. Okay? If I said to you, um, or if if we said as a church, right, we need to build a new building, and we're going to break this building down and build a new church, and we'd like you to pledge to be part of that. You know, most people would say, yes, I pledge to be part of that. Say, well, actually, your pledge requires that you need to remortgage your house and give 100,000 pounds towards the project. And then some of the hands will go down. It might not be that everybody would pledge to that. Okay? And hopefully we don't have to do that because the God that we serve is a God of supply. So we trust that we won't have to ask that. But there's a cost. Not everybody's hands. If we first said... We'd like you to pledge, but the pledge is going to require that you're going to have to give 10,000 pounds to be part of this. People will think very carefully before they just put their hands up to being part of that. So I want you to just, for a moment, let's understand what is it required to be a true worshiper. Some aspects that I think that it requires to be a true worshiper. And if you'll turn with me quickly to the book of Genesis, let's look at an example of some of these points. 
Genesis chapter 22. First book of the Bible. Chapter 22, reading from verse 1. If I was to give a, a title this morning, then I would call it The Cost of Worship. Reading from verse 1, it said, Later on, God tested Abraham's faith and obedience. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will point out to you. So Abraham argued with God. But God, you've given him to me as a promise. How can you ask me to sacrifice him? Is that in your Bible? No? Oh, okay. Perhaps I've got a wrong version. The Bible says, the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Abraham then chopped wood to build a fire for a burnt offering. And he set out for the place where God told him to go. And on the third day of the journey, Abraham saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the young men. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulder while he carried the knife and the fire. And the two of them went on together. Isaac said, Father... Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the wood and the fire, said the boy. But where is the lamb for the sacrifice? God will provide a lamb, my son, Abraham answered. And they both went on together. And when they arrived at the place where God had told Abraham to go, he built an altar, he placed the wood on it, and then he tied Isaac up. He laid him on the altar over the wood. Abraham took the knife and he lifted it up to kill his son as a sacrifice to the Lord. At that moment, the angel of the Lord shouted to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, he answered, I am listening. Lay down the knife, the angel said. Do not hurt the boy in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld even your beloved son from me. It's an interesting story. Um, but true worship. The Bible says that God called Abraham and he said to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. True worship requires sacrifice. There is a cost associated with worship. God said to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your only son, the son that you love so much. As I read that and I thought about sharing this, I thought, what if God asked me, I want you to sacrifice your son. Would I be prepared to do that? Would I be able to do that? But true worship will require sacrifice. It may require you to sacrifice your personal ambitions. It may require you to sacrifice your desires to fulfill God's desires. There is a difference between a sacrifice and an offering. An offering is given out of your excess. A sacrifice is given out of your need. It costs you to give in sacrifice. 
I'll give you an, a, a little story. There was a, a hen and a pig that were walking along the road. When they saw a sign outside a, a center that said, um, bacon and egg breakfast, fundraising breakfast, proceeds all going to charity. So the hen turned to the pig and the hen said, why don't we go and make a contribution? And the pig thought about it for the moment and the pig said, hang on a minute. Your contribution is an offering. You just have to give an egg. Mine is going to require sacrifice. I have to give my life to give bacon. Okay? An offering, you can give of your excess. A sacrifice is going to demand or require something from you. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I beg you, I urge you, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. God doesn't take it. He doesn't force it. We need to present it. We need to give it. And if it's going to cost us something, if it's going to mean we have to give out of need and there's a cost, then it's becoming a sacrifice. When the Holy Spirit comes and He says to you, get up and pray. But God, it's one o'clock in the morning. I only went to bed an hour ago. But I need you to pray. I want to spend some time with you. At that hour when you have to get up, it's a sacrifice. Because you're giving up something. When God says, I want you to spend some time with me, leave the television or leave your friends. But God, I've got this booked. I've arranged this already. Now, I... <laughs> I was going out with some friends a while back before Helen and I were married and we went out for dinner and um, before the dinner I had hired some movies that I was going to watch that evening. I was spending the evening alone and then friends phoned and said, come on, we're going for dinner. Said, okay, I'll come over for dinner and I went over for dinner and it kind of got to half nine and they said, all right, we're going out, for, we're going out onto, into town and we're going to go and um, have some coffee somewhere and some listen to some live music and maybe do a bit of dancing. And I'm thinking, 9 o'clock, it's going to be early hours of the morning and it's church tomorrow morning, Saturday evening. I haven't watched my movies yet. And, and I'm thinking, yeah. And have you prepared for the service tomorrow morning? Have you waited on God? Have you spent some time with the Lord? Yeah, but it's a nice, fun evening and in a matter of minutes now, this is kind of going through my head. And I had to make a decision. I had to sacrifice a good time to go home, sit alone and spend some time with the Lord. And at that point, it was a sacrifice. Okay? But the Bible says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Are we presenting ourselves as a sacrifice to God? When God requires of us a sacrifice, are we submitting that to God? The second part of that scripture says, And be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Are we transformed? You know, the world's standards change. When I was a kid growing up, it was not acceptable for people to live together. Um, then, with, even within the church, divorce wasn't acceptable. It was just not right. But today, when, when I was a kid growing up, if you looked and people were living together, society questioned it or frowned on it. 
today it's part of society the law says it's acceptable it's fine so even as the church oh that's okay you know when people say um you know we love each other what's wrong with sleeping together outside of marriage it's just consummating our love god is a god of love god understands love why is that wrong and we reason these things out and that's the way the world the world reasons things out and it becomes acceptable and slowly the church changes and the standards within the church start to follow the reasoning of the world that's acceptable it's acceptable for people. It's okay if people live together. You know, the Holy Spirit will minister to them. We shouldn't talk about these things, really. It's, it's personal, and the Holy Spirit will minister to them. And we begin to compromise on sin. And we, we allow sin, and we reason these things out. And, but the Bible says God's standard hasn't changed. God's standard was the same in the beginning, and God's standard is the same today. You might say, well, God hasn't changed with the times. Times have changed. No. Our God is an unchanging God. He's an uncompromising God in, when it comes to sin. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So His standard and what He requires of us is the same. doesn't matter. Because if God's standard changed, then God would need to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah and say to them, I was wrong for requiring your life because of sin. God's standard remains the same. And the scripture says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. Worship requires a sacrifice. You are going to need to sacrifice your ambitions, your desires, and probably hardest of all, your will. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus prayed, as Jesus knelt in the garden, he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass me by. And the Bible says he cried and he sweat drops of blood as he agonized, saying, let this cup pass me by. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And that was a hard thing because Jesus' will as a man was probably not to go through the cross. And that's why he said, let it pass me by. But Lord, I'm prepared to, God and Father, I'm prepared to give up my will for your will. Worship requires sacrifice. A life of worship or true worship requires separation. If you go down in this passage, when, when you get down to verse 5, as Abraham saw the mountain, that God had told him about, he turns to his servants and he says to his servants, you guys wait here. Isaac and I, we're going to carry on. So why did he do that? Why did he leave the servants behind? Why didn't he just take them with? Because if he got there and he started to tie Isaac up and put Isaac on the altar, the servants would have probably said to him, no, you can't do that. That's murder. Stop that. Don't do that. And they would have prevented him from fulfilling the will of God. It required him here to separate himself, here to leave them. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, separate, lay aside every weight and sin that doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. 
we need to begin to lay aside anything that hinders us. The scripture says weights and sin. Not everything in our life is a sin. Sometimes there are things that are fine, they're good, but they can be weights in our Christian experience. Weights to prevent us from filling, fulfilling true worship before God. And if we're going to achieve a life that is a life of worship, then we need to begin to lay aside some of these weights that hold us back. What are these weights? Our careers, perhaps. We so I have an ambition. I want to be a CEO. I'm going to do it at all costs. And God's saying, well, actually, I want you to go into the ministry. No, Lord, I want to. Full, I need to be a CEO. No, I want you to go into the ministry. Well, Lord, if I can be a CEO, when I get to 65, I'll be able to retire, and then I can go into the ministry, and we'll both be happy. We'll both have what we want. It doesn't work like that. There's nothing wrong with having an ambition. There's nothing wrong with wanting to progress in your career. But when that begins to hinder our lives of worship, there's a story of a, of a, of a guy that just wanted to be a missionary. Um, and all he wanted to do, and he went, he went to Bible school, he went into the mission field, and the missionaries in the mission field wrote back to the pastor and said, please, won't you take this guy out of the mission field because he is just messing up everything he touches. And he came home really despondent and said, I just want to be a missionary. And the pastor said to him, what else can you do? He said, I'm good with electronics, etc. and in business. He says, well, why don't you take some time and go in that area? And within three years, and this is a true story, his business was one of the top computer electronic companies in Korea. And it is one of the companies competing with Intel in computer chips. And he gives millions every year to missions. He's more effective in the mission field in business than he would have ever been as a missionary. Right? But his desire was to be a missionary. But God had a different plan for him. And as he, he began to realize that, he was more effective in that area. But it will require separation. It might be sport. There's nothing wrong with sport. But you know, um, when we were kids growing up and practice football was twice a week, Tuesday and Thursday was practice, and most of the games were on a Sunday morning. But Dad, no. Sunday morning is your place in the house of the Lord. So we had to sacrifice that. We had to leave that. Sometimes it's our friends. They hinder us. There's nothing wrong with having friends. But when our friends begin to hinder us from fulfilling a life of worship, we need to separate ourselves. Those are weights. And there's sin. The interesting thing, the scripture says the weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. Now, if I said to you, you mustn't commit adultery, a lot of people will say, no chance of that. That's okay. Don't commit murder. No chance of that. You know, we have all these things that we regard as the bad sins, the big sins. I'll never do that. You know? Don't tell a lie. Well, white lies are okay. It's just a little white lie. You know the interesting thing in God's equation? 
a white lie and adultery, they are equal. It's sin. God doesn't grade sin and say, well, ah, you committed adultery, so, you know, your scale has been tipping to the other end. And you committed a white lie, okay, it's only there. You committed murder, whoa. No. Sin is sin. God doesn't look at sin as grades. There's no... So, yes, while we say we don't do, we won't do those big sins, the sins that dot so easily beset us often are the ones that, kind of the ones we hold close to our hearts, the ones that nobody really knows about, you know? Um, If I just told my boss I was off sick, I wasn't really sick, I was just tired, so I wanted the day off. Oh, no, I'm sick. (coughs) I couldn't make it in today. Terrible bug, I picked up. It's okay, you know. I'm entitled to be sick every now and then. It's my entitlement. There's nothing wrong with that. Nobody knows. It's not going to harm anybody. God knows. You know. Those sins that dot so easily, they, 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 they just kind of trip us up every time. Those things that are, you know, we say, I'll never commit adultery. I'm faithful to my wife. You know, but you're driving down the road like, my Lord. Oh, just admiring God's creation. What a fine work He's done. You know? The Bible says, if you look upon a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Nobody knows, really. I was driving by myself. You know? You and I and the Lord know. Well, you know and the Lord knows. I don't know. But it's those things that don't so easily beset us. And it begins to grow. It begins to play in your mind. Oh, let me just walk into the shop and oh, this magazine, so browse and put it back and carry on. Nobody's around. Nobody sees. Maybe CCB sees, but they don't know me. You know? But God knows. God knows your heart. He says, lay aside every weight and sin that doth so easily beset you. Psalms chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now when I was a kid, going to movies as, um, in the church was not acceptable. That was sitting in the seat of the scornful. Okay? When we were kids and we said, Mom, can I go to the... The Bible says you should not sit in the seat of the scornful. You should not be going to movies. So we couldn't go to movies until we kind of got to the age of 16 or 17 where we could decide for ourselves. Okay, but... Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. We need separation. You know, sometimes even the things that we watch. Whenever we go and hire a movie and we want to hire a movie, Helen says to me, what's the restriction on the movie? Oh, it's 16. No, we can't watch that. If it's under 12, I'll watch it. It has to be A, all ages, or under 12, and then we can watch it. <laughs> sometimes they kind of think, hey, but that's... The things that we watch, the things that we allow ourselves to see, what we take in, 
We need to separate ourselves sometimes and we need to guard our hearts, guard ourselves about the things that we watch, the things that we take in. So the first thing about worship, worship requires sacrifice. I'm glad somebody was listening. Secondly, worship requires remember a few mumblings, a couple of confused looks on the faces. I hope I don't have to tell you again everything that I've just said. But worship requires sacrifice and worship requires separation. And it's things we have to actively do. God is not going to make these things happen in your life. He's not going to make you, force you to sacrifice so that you can worship Him. If you love Him, if you want to honor Him, then you're going to have to make the decision to make these sacrifices. Sacrifice, submission. The third thing about worship, and I've chosen S's so that you can remember them. Three simple S's. Sacrifice, separation, and submission to God's voice or God's word. We need to live a life according to God's word. The Bible says that Abraham moved on God's instruction. When God said to Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice your son. The next morning, Abraham got up. And the Bible says on the third day, as Abraham saw the place, and God said to him, I want you to go to a place that I will show you. Okay? So God told him to sacrifice. God was going to direct him where to go and make the sacrifice. And when he was making the sacrifice, he listened and he heard the voice say, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Right? So Abraham moved on God's instruction. He didn't question God's instruction. He was obedient. You said to me in your Bible, God, Abraham didn't argue with God. He didn't say to God, no, God, but you gave me Isaac. Why must I sacrifice Isaac? Abraham was obedient. He listened. And in verse 11, it says that Abraham heard the voice of the Lord. And Abraham listened when it said, stop, don't sacrifice Isaac. Psalms chapter 1, we quoted, said, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Okay? Are you meditating in the law of the Lord? Romans chapter 1 said, Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are you going to renew your mind? How are you going to be transformed? As you meditate in His law, as you meditate in the Word of God, as you read the Word of God, as you study the Word of God, your mind begins to become transformed to the mind of Christ because you begin to know the will of God. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate therein day and night. Why? So that you might observe, so that you may be obedient to all that is written in therein, that you might observe to do according to everything that is written therein, that you might live your life according to the Word of God. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. We've sometimes got it the wrong way around. We chase prosperity and we chase success and we neglect the Word of God. Begin to apply the Word of God to your life. Begin to study the Word. Begin to live according to the Word. And success and prosperity will follow. 
It might not be the success and prosperity you thinking you want. Because the other thing that I found is that the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. As you begin to delight in the Lord, actually the desires of your heart begin to change. Because now you don't desire as much the things you wanted to. You begin to desire the things that God wants. And God begins to give them to you. And now I'm prosperous. Because I'm getting what I want. God gives you those desires. As you make His desires your desires, He gives you the desires of your heart. But sometimes we chase after our desires so, and we miss out on the blessing that God has. Psalms 1 said you were blessed. Ephesians chapter three verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 3 says, Now to thanks be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. He's already done it with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He's already blessed you. You just don't know it. If you knew about it, Jesus. Nevertheless. The scripture says, my sheep hear my voice. Another translation says, my sheep recognize my voice. Do you recognize the voice of the Lord when he was speaking to you? Abraham heard the voice. He obeyed the voice. What voices are you listening to? You know, there's voices that we hear. What voice are you? Are you listening to the voice of the Lord? Or are you listening to the voice that says, no? can just take one. Nobody really sees, you know. Take a sickie. Nobody will know. It's okay. God knows. You know. Worship requires submission to God's word and to God's will. So we understand the cost of worship. Why do I want to pay the price? Because I love God. Because I honor God. So what are the three S's of our life of worship? Sacrifice. Great. Test your game next week and see if you remember. Why do we want to? Why should we? You know, sometimes um, we don't realize the cost of what we have. Or if we didn't pay the price for something, we don't necessarily truly appreciate the value. Um, when I was younger and I bought my first car, my first car was an old, you see I drive a Peugeot 207 now, my first car was an old Peugeot 404. For many of you, you may not even remember what those looked like. It was a bit of a Batman car. It had these wings that kind of came out at the back. Okay, It had... A front seat that was a long front seat that you could put four people in the front seat at a column shift. There was no ABS brakes. There was none of the kind on those cars. Okay? But you know, I was so excited to buy this car. It was my father's old car. It was broken down and it was parked in the yard. And I said to him, Dad, if I save up and I fix the car, can I have the car? And he said, yes. So I started sourcing. At that point... Um, this was back in 1989, probably. 1989, probably before some people were born, but nevertheless. 
Back in 1989, I, I was saving up and I was trying to find the parts. Persia had pulled out of South Africa at the time because of apartheid, so you couldn't find parts. You had to go to scrapyards to find the spares you needed. Anyway, I sourced the spares that I needed for the car, got the car fixed, and I had great plans for these cars, for this car. Okay, I was going to have the rims widened, have them chromed. I was going to have the roof chopped off, have it as a convertible. If I had to drive a Peugeot, it was going to be there. I bought a sound system for the car, subwoofers. This was going to be it. When I used to travel with my friends, we used to have four in the front seat, four in the back seat, and we would go. Don't matter that we're driving a Peugeot, it's getting us where we're going, and the music was pumping. And we'd stop at the traffic light and then we would, you know, and as we take off, everybody's gone and it's like, uh, it was a Peugeot 404. Well, this was my first car. I was proud of it. I worked to get it fixed and get it on the road. And one day... I said to my father, my father said, listen, I need to use your car because it had a tow bar on the back. I need to tow the trailer from one town to the other town. I said to him, look, I think it's got a, an oil leak, so just monitor it because the light keeps coming on, and I think it's got an oil leak. Just to give you some context, this car didn't even have hazard lights. For those that don't know, that little triangle that you have in your car that flashes when something's wrong and you put it on, this car never had it. When I needed to, I flicked the indicator up and down so that I would have it going on each side. Okay, because you wanted to indicate there's something wrong. That's what this car was like. Okay, so I said to my father, Dad, there's something wrong with the car. Just be careful. Monitor the oil. He said, that's electrical fault. No problem. Well, he hit out on the journey, and about an hour later, I got a phone call. Car stuck on the side of the motorway. Engine seized. I've got the trailer to the other town. You need to make arrangements to come pick up your car. And I'm like, you were driving it. It's your car. It's not mine. He didn't appreciate the cost and the effort that went into it because he didn't pay the price. I did. Because I had to pay the price. And sometimes we lose sight of the price that was paid for our salvation. So we don't, we don't go to the extent of being prepared to pay the cost to live a life of worship. You know, salvation is free. But it wasn't cheap. The God of heaven gave his only son to die for you and for me. That we could be here. This part of the story always. Verse 7. Isaac said, Father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. Isaac said, We have the wood and the fire, said the boy. But where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And God will, God will provide the lamb, my son, Abraham answered. And they both went on together. You know, when you read it, it doesn't perhaps... Um, portray the sentiment. I, I put myself in Abraham's shoes and I kind of think, if I was a father, would it, whilst I believe in God and I trust in God, would it have just been so easy knowing that I'm going to take my son, even if I believe that God would raise him from the dead, but I'm going to take him and I'm going to put him on the altar of sacrifice and I'm going to sacrifice my son unto God. Knowing what lie ahead, as Abraham made that journey, how did he feel? I don't think it was an easy, an easy decision. 
And you know, Abraham was spared. He didn't have to sacrifice. He went, he tied Isaac up, and he laid him on the altar, and he made ready to sacrifice, but he didn't have to sacrifice him. But you know, God made the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his only son, knowing, knowing that his son was going to go to the cross and to die. Yet he gave him. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says, Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us. That was the love. He didn't spare his son. He gave his son that you and I didn't have to go to that death. The scripture says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And so that we would not have to pay the price, Christ Jesus paid the price for us. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Our sin required blood to be shed. But Jesus stepped in and he died that we might live. Scripture says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He was despised and he was rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with the bitterest grief. And yet we turned our backs on him. We looked the other way when he went by. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrow, there's sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment for God's own sin. But he was wounded and he was crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. And he was whipped and we were healed. Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and for I. Each time they whipped him and his flesh opened. As the pain wrecked through his body. He said, this is for miracle. Each time a nail went into his hand. He said, this is for Jaron. As the thorn went into his, as the, the spear went into his side, as the thorns weighed down on his head, and as the blood went down, he said, this is for Timothy. You and I were the joy that was set before him. And because of that, he endured the cross. We were the reason that Jesus did it. The father turned his back on him. He was rejected by his own father because of our sin. The Bible says he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the price that was paid, that you and I can have salvation. There was a cost associated to our salvation. A man by the name of C.T. Studd, who set up world evangelism for Christ, said, If Jesus Christ be God... And died for me. No sacrifice can be too great for him. For, sorry, too great for me to make for him. Are you prepared to make the sacrifice this morning to live a life of worship? 